Back in My Play has returned for another season of episodes. We're going to be focusing on the 25th anniversary of the Super Nintendo and a couple other things. But first, I want to say thank you to everyone that really sent in the just ridiculous flood of comments about the Summer of Dreamcast. You guys seem to really enjoy that series of episodes, and I love doing it. And you guys know the type of show that I like to put together is, you know, I do these now in kind of blocks to make sure that Every time I deliver a show to you guys, it's the utmost best that I can do in terms of production. Along with all that, I want to say thank you for just tuning in and downloading every single week. But on top of that, to the patrons and people that are supporting the show through PayPal, you guys are now going to be getting um, some very specific extra content, starting off with the Back of My Play Game Club. Because I've been trying to figure out how to do some longer games on this show, and I think the best way to do it is with a game club. And... This does two things for me. One, it allows me to, again, play these longer games and give you know, the PayPal supporters some extra content on the back end. Um, and it means so much that you guys are, are supporting the show because I can't do this show with the time that it takes to produce these days without that financial contribution. Like now I can kind of set it aside and it's helped make the FitCast network, you know, a mild success, but it's getting there. So... The Back of My Play Game Club will start off with Chrono Trigger. Uh, That game is something that I've been wanting to do on the show for a long time. It's a game that I've wanted to finish for a long time, so now I'm going to be able to do that. And I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear the voice of the audience with, with you guys being able to submit emails and also MP3 files. Like, send me. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your thoughts on this game. More details on this are going to be coming in the next week or so, um, but basically I want to hear about your memories. I want to hear about your feedback of the game. How does this game hold up today? And we're going to break the game into two so I can put together two like side mini episodes for the Patreon supporters. But along with that, everyone else is still going to get the main show. You're still going to get the main episode that we do on Chrono Trigger, and I have a great guest lineup for that already. It's going to be an incredible show. It might actually have to be two episodes in itself because of how many people want to jump on this one, but um, I, I, I hope this makes sense because I'm not trying to you know block anyone from getting great content and stuff, but I need to say thank you to the Patreon supporters and hopefully encourage more Patreon support so I can continue to do this show that I love so much, even as things continue to get a little bit crazier. On top of that, I've talked about doing some more in-depth coverage and doing some travel for Back of My Play to cover some great things, whether it be uh, conferences or just going and hanging out with some you know developers and filming some stuff and putting together some great videos for you guys because I think there's, there's so much great video game especially retro video game uh, things going on in the world that, that just aren't being covered and I would love to cover that for the audience. So I hope that all makes sense again and the Patreon supporters will also still get some extra segments from you know now and then at the end of the show uh, based on who we, we talk to but uh, that is it for, for the Patreon support. And then finally just a quick scheduling thing. Like I mentioned before we're going to be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Super Nintendo starting off with well, just we have a great discussion uh, with Benjamin Rivers today where we talk a lot about the Super Nintendo, but uh, also just talking to a lot of people that you've heard on the show about their memories of the Super Nintendo, their favorite games, the games that they go back to, and just very... These these interviews, like these mini interviews have been just incredible uh, so far, so that's going to be good to share with you guys. Um, and 
Also, we're going to be doing an episode on Super Castlevania 4, finally. Um, and obviously, Chrono Trigger. There's one more game. I don't want to talk about it just yet, just to make sure I can get the guests that I want lined up for it. But um, the other thing along with that is Back in My Play is going to the movies next week. I'm trying this out, and I already recorded it. We did Flight of the Navigator with Georgia Dow. And I want to see what you guys think of that because it's, you know, just changing it up a little bit and seeing uh, if there's, you know, another way to make some some good episodes for the show. And there's a lot of movies, and you'll hear me talk about it in the, the episode itself. But I think that could be a really cool, cool way to do some extra you know, do some shows for <laughs> the show while I play these longer form games that are going to take up a lot of my time because it's hard to play multiple games at once these days for me. So uh, I think that is that is all. But thank you so much to everyone that is supporting the show through Patreon. I hope some of you guys really do love this show and you, and you can uh, be in the position to help support it uh, by going to patreon.com slash backmyplay, going to backmyplay.com and clicking that PayPal button and you guys can get access to that same extra content if you donate $50 or more per year you can get access to that stuff um, and that is uh, that's really about it so more details are coming up on the game club and I hope you guys uh, enjoy this episode and enjoy everything else that is coming up and thank you so much we will uh, get to it if you have any feedback for me send them to kevin at back get me on twitter at kevin larrabee I love hearing from you guys. Anytime you have anything to say, please, uh, you know, talk to me. You guys are the audience. So I really appreciate any kind of contact that I get to have with you guys. So again, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the, the conversation I have with Benjamin Rivers. It was really outstanding. And he and Jason uh, Cannon will be back for Super Castlevania 4. So you get to know him today. Take care. back in my play. My name is Kevin Larrabee and I got a great episode for you this week because I get to finally talk to Benjamin Rivers and it's also on the actual date of release of his brand new game Alone With You which is available on the PlayStation 4 and more importantly right the PlayStation Vita. I'm just that, That's right. Got you got to support the Vita Ben. So um thank you so much for for taking the time to to come on. It's going to be awesome to just talk about like not only the game but just like you know retro games as well. We're just going to kind of go over all over the place today. I'm so happy to jam on stuff with you. This is going to be great. Well um I I think maybe the like first thing, just to kind of like set the table here a, a little bit. I mean, you you do have a brand new game coming out today, and you know people might have also checked out another game that you worked on uh, home bef- before that. But is this is this a game that you put together solely by yourself? Alone with you is not. Home was for the most part a one you know one man show, uh, mm-hmm. but with Alone with you, uh, quickly realized it was never going to be possible <laughs> that way, mm-hmm. and I think i remembered the feeling of trying to do that the first time so we actually had a really good team and it was kind of like action movie style assembling you know as you need to like everyone's jumping out of a plane and realizing how to survive on the way down mm-hmm. and that's kind of how the team came together so we have a, a man named Ivor steins who did all the sound and music design uh and there's a he did like the he did the one piece of music that's in home which is a 
30 second loop it's the only mm. music in that game and so he did the entire 30 plus track soundtrack for this game and all the sound effects uh, and then we brought a guy named Gavin who did all the background art, object art, and a whole bunch more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had a whole bunch of other people doing design consultation, producing, just just donating their time. Well, donating their time for money. But you know, <laughs> but donating their time when they could in, in amongst other projects to just kind of help out and keep everything on track. So we were. I'm really lucky that I live in Toronto where there's just a ton of great people around. Yeah, you guys have a really great, like, uh, Toronto and just Canada in general for, for game development is just like a crazy hotbed. And also, um, I mean, I guess Vancouver's on the other, or is it, are you near Vancouver? You're near like Brian Davis and the Next Level guys? Vancouver, Brian, they're all on the West Coast. So we That's are right. Central okay. East, and then you have Montreal and, and whatnot in Quebec. They're just east of us as well. And then there's also a whole bunch of studios, uh, and your pal Greg Seward is on the East Coast. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I always like think of you know Canada as being a a really big you know video game development hotbed, and it still has like been that way ever since. I, I guess it was a really big boost with uh, Ubisoft and like when the 360 and PlayStation Three really were were hitting off. Like it seems like you know there were just more and more development studios were were opening up like EA Montreal and like all these. Uh, I guess there was like even Bioware and stuff like that were were opening up uh, over there. But um, maybe like the best place to kind of start, because I am really curious, is to kind of talk about, um, man, why are you doing this? Why why are you in game development? And like what what got you to the point to where you are today, I guess? Why why do anything saner than this? Come on. Well, I mean, Uh, and and I think like, I, I mean, part of it, part of the question is like, you know, Game development is something that is a much different thing today than it was even five years ago. With yeah. um, for for good and for for you know good and bad, right? With the internet and what you have available in terms of tools and you know selling and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I was really lucky because about I think it was about two thousand seven or so. Toronto experienced like a bit of a boom. It experienced an indie boom. So we have we have companies like uh, Drinkbox and Cappy and MetaNet. So a lot of those bigger titles, bigger indie uh, studios that people have heard uh, heard of, mm-hmm. all come from around here. And what happened was a whole uh, whole bunch of them sort of realized around that time that each other existed, or they started to reach out a little bit more, and more importantly, get organized. So we mm-hmm. ended up creating this event called the Hand Eye Society, which was just an excuse to just get people together to present games and to talk to talk to each other. And I was just sort of fledgling at the time, working something completely different. And at that time is when game engines started to become more accessible. You know, uh, I work with a game maker uh, and that was starting to just come out and be like, be more robust enough to make a full game. Uh, and a bunch of other uh, ways to get middleware and to get people working as a team without needing, you know, a giant office and a huge studio. All those sort of technological and social factors kind of all just hit at the right time Mm -hmm. and then once people started meeting and you realized you could do things there were these incubators of which i was a part that taught people like me like hey here's here's some just some stuff to get your feet wet like why don't you just throw in and and see what happens and so a whole bunch of us myself included just just took to it obviously and just have been doing it ever since and i was just one of the lucky ones that was just too stupid to stop i guess well, I was going to say, like, yeah, you, I, I, like you mentioned, like that huge explosion indie indie devs with like the drink box guys, and I forget, you know, you know, Jason's up there in Toronto, uh, Jason right. Canham, uh, as well, and that is just um, super great, to, great to see. Um, you mentioned 
game maker. And there's two things that I wanted to hit on that for a second because you know I think there's lots of people you know whether they're listening to the show or whether they just like really love video games. I think you know it's still there's people out there that love the idea of potentially making games, but um, you know we have all these tools today uh, with, with something like Game Maker. Is, does that still require uh, you know a decent amount of programming knowledge to to make make a game with? So as an example, I have no training in programming or actually any game development training at all. Um, so what I started using when I first got Game Maker was their drag and drop interface that they had, which is mm-hmm. for expressly that purpose to get people like me to just sort of mess around and sort of understand how logic works and things like that. And there are so many more tools and, and tutorials and things that get you thinking about how to make games, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of what engine or, or technology you end up using, just learning how to understand logic and code. So you can do a lot, or at least you could do a lot at the time uh, with just using those interfaces. But in order to sort of like get down to the metal and, and get a bit better at it, you did have eventually have to use the code language that's in game maker, which is GML. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, again, like, you know, I did websites. I was a designer. I do HTML, CSS, I do things like that, but I was never, never a coder i've never taken a coding class mm-hmm. um but somehow you know using game hacker i've been able to code two two full games now uh, that haven't totally exploded so that's good uh and you kind of just learn what you need to learn at exactly the time you need to learn it and then you just sort of expand on that indefinitely until you eventually realize you know a lot more than you realize uh you did and you can you can actually make something you can make things without having understood how to make them before uh, because you're learning to think with those languages and whatnot. So, I mean, gaming is still uh, obviously very technological Mm -hmm. uh, industry. You got to, whether you're doing art, sound, whatever, there's a whole lot of tech you have to sort of get used to, but it has literally never been easier than ever to at least get started and to, to get your feet wet and, you know, figure out if it's right for you. All right, so I um you know I I am a little bit bummed that they don't have a, a Mac version of Game Maker Studio, but hey, it's a good reason to drop a thousand dollars on a Microsoft <laughs> laptop, I guess. Um, well, th- you know, there's there's a couple places that I want to go with that, and, and and just like sticking with with Game Maker for a second, um, I I don't know if you check this out, uh, a game that just came out recently through Game Maker, which was. Uh, let me see if I can get the exact title so I don't have to use the actual title of the name, AM2R. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, in fact, uh, you might be seeing Mr. Jason Canham and I play that a little Ooh. pretty soon. All right. I'm, I've been saving it. I'm so excited to check that out. And when I found out it was being made with Game Maker, I was really, really stoked. Well, I'm like, okay, so I don't mean to be like super elusive and hopefully if you guys have seen this or you were able to get it in some form before, I mean, it's the internet, you'll be able to find it, but uh, it's the sure. Metroid 2 remake that uh, I believe a developer was working on like for some five years. Uh, you know, I remember seeing this stuff, seeing stuff about this game years ago and it was actually one of those great like projects that got completed because you always see these games that you know people are like trying to remake you know, like Black Mesa was like another one that, right. you know, people were actually able to get to the finish line uh, on that stuff. But um, like a complete remake of Metroid 2. And I've actually, I've been playing it like there, uh, some people that were part of that community actually put together a wrapper so you could play it on, on the Mac as well. And I've nice. been, I've been enjoying the crap out of it. And that's like, it was surprising because usually I'm I'm the type of person that like doesn't want to deal with emulation or doesn't want to deal with uh, 
like fan remakes and stuff like that because I feel like it's not like the true source material, but um, they've done an absolutely incredible job of putting that together, and it is it, it's a blast. So I think people are really going to going to uh, enjoy it, and you guys are going to have a blast playing it. It is just it's so well done. The music is really incredible in terms of the remakes. Unfortunately, I I was like, where can I get the soundtrack? I want to download yeah these remastered or or redone uh, tracks from Metroid Two because I think that's like. That's like one of the secret best Game Boy soundtracks out there. It's so good. Oh, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of Metroid 2. I I actually uh, contribute my terrible eyesight to that game specifically. (laughs) Really? Just like the Game Boy, like an inch from your face? Yeah, playing it twice uh, on an original P Green Game Boy, you know, by Lamplight. Yeah, in the luckily, evening. <laughs> I, I did the. Uh, that was by the time I had Super Game Boy, and that was one of those uh, games that was enhanced, uh, like out of the That's box right. by Super Game Boy. It had a template like built in for it. So, um, and you, like, not only did it already have the colors like remapped, but it also had like a really cool border for uh, Metroid Two. So that's a way that you could uh, play it today. But um, all of that, I don't know. Have you checked one of these out? I don't know if this this was you that I saw bought this uh, or not. If it was someone else, but one of those eight bit dough. Yep. Okay, you did buy this. Yeah, I picked up. I picked up. Don't get mad at me for I getting. Know, a, I know. I saw the Retron Five too. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> I picked up a Retron Five because I wanted to be able to play Famicom games and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and uh, I had seen all the eight bit dough stuff online. It looked really cool, but then. Again, one of the other things we're lucky to have in Toronto is like the most retro game shops per capita, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so one of the one of the ones here actually had it, and I said, "Oh man, well I'm going to try it. Like I have to get this." So it is it is incredible. So I have, I have the Super Famicom one. Right. That that's that's exactly you inspired me to also go on Amazon and buy one. Uh, Amazing. And it showed up today, and it is whatever it was like thirty five bucks or something like that. Um, yeah. Absolutely well well worth it for you know something that you can run through Bluetooth with a pretty good battery, and also um, it has. Uh, you know, USB input if you want to use that. But then playing, you know, the the Metroid Two remake with with this was like, oh my god, it's like a whole different, it's a whole different level. And that's going off of the like in the past, I've recommended the Buffalo Classic USB gamepad, which I have right next to it. But like, it's just it's the D pad, right? Like the D pad yeah. uh, really does make a difference if it isn't uh, like a just a hard piece of plastic. Yeah, it's it's incredible. You know, I I look at the thing and I just I don't understand how they get the plastic so right, like the feel, yeah. and the texture, and the grain, and everything else. And as soon as I was playing games with it, I went, "This is the control I've wanted <laughs> since, right. since like 1992." Well, I hope they can do something like a like a like a Saturn, like a Sega Saturn gamepad, like the Japanese Sega Saturn gamepad, or uh, also like a, I mean, the, there's a really bad, and it's like I've been getting rid of a lot of my games. Like I, I hold on to, you know, I basically all I have left is is a couple of my retro uh, consoles and also yeah. my my PlayStation Vita. Um, so now that I'm going to be, I'm actually going to be traveling a little bit more on the road over the next couple months, like having something like this to, to play stuff for the show is going to be uh, really great paired up with open MU on uh, the that Mac. Thing, which, that thing is amazing. Yeah. Just like it, it, it is. Uh, I mean, it's getting to the point where like just the, the, the emulation community and the retro 
devices that we can pair up with this stuff is really getting to the point where it's blurring the lines and even giving people better experiences that unfortunately then even you know nintendo can give us on their own platforms yeah and i mean the thing is there's so many this has been talked about at gdc and, and through other talks and whatnot but there's so it is so difficult to preserve uh games right. because the hardware is all unique and it's all old and it's tough to sort of um consolidate and whatnot so using open mu the thing that blew my mind was i had the 32x version of mortal Kombat 2 in there mm-hmm. you know who would like how many people the best in the world even it's it's amazing but how many people in the world have ever ever even played that thing you know fresh out of the box right uh and open mu has that filter which makes it look like a crappy ntsc television through composite which yep. i love because it's exactly how i remember it and so even though that's like quote unquote the wrong way to do it i remember putting it on and going holy crap this is just i don't even understand like you could put this in a classroom and say this is what it was this is what yeah. it looked like this is the reason why this pixel art was designed this way because you know like the genesis had a terrible video output and they would do tricks with dithering and stuff like that. And because of it's through software, you don't have to have an old CRT or whatever. You can see a bunch of those tricks. That's what I love about it is that you can kind of learn mm-hmm. uh, from a bunch of these sources that are so obscure and hard to get otherwise. Um, and the thing about retro gaming is, of course, it you know it only ever gets more difficult and more expensive the, the longer time goes on. Uh, but I find that every year or every so often, there's, you learn more and more from these old titles uh through development you know through the development especially now as a game developer i'm always looking at like what you know what teams did and how they dealt with just dealt with making a game in such a short amount of time or on these really tight budgets and Mm -hmm. uh and it's hard to sort of go out find a store that has like the copy of that one game that was printed in like one run and was never heard from again and just to learn that one thing that you've always wanted to to understand so in cases like that you know, you see something at OpenMU and you go, ah, finally I can at least see what this is about. Yeah, and like I'm I'm all for, for you know, supporting this stuff. Like usually if if I do open up something in OpenMU, like I'm at the point in my life where like my, my conscious kicks in and I'm like, all right, fine, I'm going to go buy this on like, you know, PSN or I'm going to get it on. Yeah. I, I will, I'll go buy it on the virtual console, but like, you know, like there's like, I don't need to buy Super Mario World 14 times across every <laughs> Nintendo platform. And that's right. like, I feel like I've not only do, that's one of the few games that I still have kept in my house. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel okay emulating this on, on open MU. And I, that was, it is, it's a weird thing to fight with because again, as like a purist, as someone who started this show and said like, yeah, I'll never play anything except on the original hardware. Uh, you know, for the most part, I, I like to be able to do that. But um, just in terms of, of convenience, and like you said, it makes me feel way better for the future of preservation of, yeah. of this stuff that we're going to be able to, you know, be able to fit every game that was made between 1980 and 19 or the year 2000 on like yeah. a 64 gigabyte SD card. I know. It's amazing. It is. It is pretty good. Well, I want to ask you about about uh, you know your latest game because this is something that has come up uh, a little bit uh, over the last couple of days, but um, you know I have been I've been playing some email tag with a limited run game uh, games ah, guys. Okay, uh, we've been we've been like literally for it's probably been for like three months. We've been going back and forth like all right, we'll set something up and like the schedules just don't uh, align and those guys are incredibly busy. But um, 
they they have been doing some really and this is like this is like the best praise that I could give them is like I'm like I wish I thought up of what they did and started that company because like that's exactly what I want as a as a gamer and it's so great to see the success that they've had so far and uh, if there's like they don't even need help promoting their stuff, but if there's any way that they can continue to grow that, it's going to be even better. Yeah, I totally agree. They've. Um, I was actually just speaking with Doug uh, Douglas today because I actually first met him at PSX uh, in 2015 when I was showing off mm-hmm. alone with you and was talking to talking to a few people there, and they were just putting out I think their second or third title, and. I was telling him that I can't listen to a single podcast now, watch a single YouTube video, or read a game blog that I read without somebody showing off their like limited run complete Vita collection or something right, like that. Right, right. And it's like the the growth that they've shown uh, and the amount of titles that have been in the catalog and the amount of interest, like the immediate just rabid interest is so exciting mm-hmm. and so interesting to me. And I'm just someone like I buy game soundtracks on vinyl now. Uh, not like all of them just because, but I went I really, down that rabbit hole. Yeah, it's I'm very, very disciplined, but it's mm-hmm. tough sometimes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's certain um, there are certain labels uh, like specifically Data Discs and, and Brave Wave where mm-hmm. if they put something out, like I'm going to be 99 percent interested like immediately because of the quality and because of how well I know they treat the material. Right. And, and it's it seems, not like they're putting out the soundtrack for like, I don't know, like God, what's a, what's a really bad soundtrack? Like, uh, God, oh God. I, don't, I don't even want to throw something out of the bus, but like, it's, <laughs> it's not like, like really, if you think about any, any good game also is usually accompanied by uh, a great soundtrack, but, um, you know, like, like some to- weird, total recall NES. They're not yeah. Like they're perfect. Total recall <laughs> NES or, or yeah, any kind of, or ba- how about back to the future NES? You got to really perfect. get that, that great, terrible soundtrack on vinyl. Just like one one twenty second loop for eight hours. Yeah, was it? Uh, oh God, I forget what it was. It's like I don't even want to think about it because then it'll be stuck in my head for the rest of the show. <laughs> so let's not bring that up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're you're bringing up like the the like those guys are really putting together great physical uh, products, and it allows people to you know have these these physical goods and and have really great in terms of like Street Fighter, you know, have a great opportunity to also have the best version of that soundtrack to ever be released. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like the whole thing with, I think we're getting, I think we're like the way games are distributed now, you know, things obviously being much more digital, a little bit more ephemeral with patches and updates and games as a service and all that kind of stuff. It's harder to just pin down that, that box that you come home from the store with that you say, Oh man, like I always, you know, like I love this copy of Silent Hill two is one of my examples. So just, love that it's still here and I can read the manual and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's really funny to see that the way that's being approached now is that you find a game that has been released is complete. Maybe it's got extra stuff, you know, finally put in the contents have all been, been added. And then now's the time to get that sweet collector's item mm-hmm. that is for the people who just love it. I've always wanted, you know, that, that thing is a box they can keep forever. And that suddenly becomes, uh, what's interesting as opposed to the day one, Point. You know, like obviously for someone like me who's an independent 
like how many copies of Alone With You in a box am I going to sell on day one? I don't, you know, I have to do a lot of a lot of marketing, obviously, to to get that to work. No one's going to go into an EB and be like, "What's this?" If it's next to Deus Ex. Well, I think uh, I think they were like even talking, or Ethan Einhorn was was talking when I was on the Player One show a couple weeks ago. Is like they they had like a copy of Siren the Wanderer right in, in like the San Francisco era even though you can get it available online like that's something where even just the shelf pace in the stores is just getting a little bit more and more non-existent oh sure yeah and it's just you know all the same i guess all the same retail issues you would have had you know even from the 80s is right is the same now it's just that it's even more competitive now and even i mean even digital stores are highly competitive uh which indies are are starting to understand more and more i know i'm looking at the front page of the psn store on my vita and alone with you is on the front of it so <laughs> that's pretty good placement it's uh i'm pretty happy with that yeah they sony's been sony's been amazing about supporting the game so it's been pretty cool um i well i'm, I'm kind of like curious in and we, we are going all over the place and um you know thankfully they i I've downloaded my copy of Alone With You. It is waiting on my Vita right now. And they did an incredible thing of also, uh, or I guess like this is something that they do with, with you as well as like you being the publisher is putting together, you know, a discount for PlayStation Plus members too. That's right. Yeah. We do cross buy and PS Plus discount. And we did the same thing with Home just because it makes sense. So, so I think some people get, maybe some other developers get kind of twitchy about that. But when the, mm-hmm. we, I talked to them about it, I said, "Yep, let's do it." I actually bought I bought two PlayStation Vita games today. There's also uh, Dungeon Punks, which oh, is yeah, like, the... did you see that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was like another cool like uh, like beat 'em up, and uh, this is this is like me being maybe a little bit more of just like a a, a, a crazy person when it comes to this platform, but um, it is it is just awesome to see you know you as a developer uh, continuing to. You know, support it, and then seeing to, or hearing that you know also Sony's doing uh, you know a really good job helping the publishers and the developers also in terms of uh, bringing stuff over to that platform as well. Yeah, and we when I brought the game and demoed it at PSX, uh, that was the biggest sort of showing the game had ever had, mm-hmm. and it was you know the place is packed and it was really huge and the event was was really great, um, and people would come by and. Nine times out of ten, somebody be, would say, like, so is the game coming to Vita? You know, like, they would almost have a Vita in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I met a couple of these different groups of folks, uh, like these two ladies who would come by, hardcore Vita fans, you know, sort of, like, platinum everything, had all these games just 100%ed. And they said, like, is, like this is coming to Vita, right? Like, 100%? Like, we're not – we're here for you day one. But it's got to it's got to come on this platform. They had like customized Vitas and stuff like that. So I really got Love to it. see like the hardcore Vita segment. And mm-hmm. it was after that that I said, I mean, I'd always planned to do it, and it was always announces it uh, as being uh, uh, both platforms. But after that event, I said, okay, I, like I have to do right by these people because like they're they're into this. You know, yeah. there's no good. I'm, I'm wondering, like, I don't know. I don't know for for me personally. I don't know if it's just like an underdog thing, or if it is like you know, uh, you know. I've done I've done more talking than anyone should ever about like how, like this is the best handheld hardware that's ever been put together. It's like you know the 3ds. You can argue it has a better library. It has Nintendo properties on it and stuff, but right. like like I'm sorry. Like even like the new 3ds XL. Like the reason why I got rid of it is like I. 
like this thing just frustrates me like the battery is always dying the audio is not like the audio output of the headphone jack is like for someone that flies on planes a lot is not very uh very optimal right it's like okay i have this platform the playstation vita with a ton of games that i bought for it that i still haven't played like let's just kind of focus on this and um, it, I think that is like partially why it has such a devoted audience is like they made this for, you know, gamers that really want great hardware, want great performance, like battery life sound and, you know, the screen's really great and the, the, the buttons are there. Of course, it's missing two buttons that we would like to be there, but um, I, I don't know if that's why it is like people just kind of feel like it was made for them and like it was they thought of the consumer when they put this thing together outside, maybe the memory cards as well. I guess, okay. There's a couple <laughs> things to not like about it, but um, I don't know. Did you, did you ever get like that feeling from like doing stuff at, at PSX where you saw like, yeah, like the, the fans of this platform are just kind of, just kind of like more, uh, I don't know, like more uh, invested than, than you like kind of any other platform out there. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm not, yeah, I'm not even saying that. It's just, I, I remember telling my wife, I said like Vita fans, wow, like they are, they are vocal and they are into this. They are mm. passionate and they love their devices. And I think there was even a report that came out from some third parties a couple of years ago that talked about the attach rate of Vitas. Yeah, the Edar stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and about how people who buy Vita, like you know, people who just use their Vitas regularly, like they just they buy a lot of software, they mm-hmm. buy games, they they do it. So, and I have to be honest, like the thing that has been the most interesting to me as a developer is um, not just like, you know, the passion from people who just like the device or like games on it, but mm-hmm. how cool everybody is. Yeah. Cause if anyone's ever released games on steam, you know that the audience can be pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty acerbic and very, very vocal and not always as, as polite as you would like. And I remember when I first launched on PlayStation with home, mm-hmm. uh, I remember thinking, okay, Let's get ready. Let's get like bring on the angry emails. There's always somebody who's gonna like I get you know you always get hate mail and just weird stuff. So I'm like okay, let's bring it on. And it was I was shocked. You know, there's always one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've had people just out of the blue. In fact, I just got one today. Emails people who were just like, hey, thank you so much for making this game. I really like it. Here's a bunch of nice things I have to say about it. Have a nice day. <laughs> and it's I was going, what? Are you sure? Are you sure yeah, you're sending that's... me an email about a video game? I thought that's not how these started. I thought these had a few more words in them that were not these words. Well, do you think do you think that has something to do with also the the type of game that you made? Like if you made a you know uh, you know team based first person shooter uh, with you know different characters and stuff like that, like maybe it just kind of uh, tends to draw a different subset of audience that may be a little bit more. Um, internet hostile? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, the one thing that I noticed at PSX uh, was the like incredible mix of people who came by. Mm-hmm. It literally, like, you know, if you were, if I was sitting there with a, like, with a computer doing, like, a demographic split, it would just be, like, e- almost even lines around the whole thing. It was so weird. Uh, and it was not what I expected. I sort of expected some folks who, like, into other games, maybe, like, Persona and stuff, to be like maybe more obviously interested, but a bunch of other people to just check the game out and kind of just scoff and walk away. But I remember these like four bros came up mm-hmm. uh, and they were obviously had just come from, uh, I can't remember what game it was, but it Let's was just say call of duty. Yeah. It was, it was like a shooty, a shooty fight 
kind of game. And they were like, it's like, yo, sci-fi romance adventure, huh? I was like, yeah. Just kind of waiting for waiting for them to say something and then walk away. They're like, sounds pretty cool. What's it about? And I kind of paused and said, okay. And you sort of gave them the pitch and talked to them about the game. Like, right on, man. That sounds awesome. And I just did not expect that. So I don't know. Maybe a game about love is just, you know, love's all around. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think it is just, it, it's like a more hardcore, but almost like positive gamer where, I, I don't know, I don't really have like a good, um, like analogy for, for that from like even, even older stuff because like it's still like, we're not like even competing, uh, like a Super Nintendo versus a, a, a Genesis thing or a, right. or a PlayStation 1 versus like a, a Saturn or an N64. Like people aren't necessarily comparing this against the, the 3DS all the time. It's just like, all right, whenever anything comes to the PlayStation Vita, like I'm going to at least check it out, if not like pre-order it or, you know, maybe I'll wait for it to get on sale, but at least I'll I'll end up picking it up at, at, at some point. And um that's probably why, or I hope that's why, like the limited run games guys have been so successful with their stuff. Like you know, everything that they've done, I think up until this point, has had a PlayStation Vita version uh, as well, and those things are you know also selling out like within minutes. I know. Yeah, I was I was obviously been paying attention to all that stuff because I was just very interested, and I just and it's it's weird. Like sometimes people just buy stuff, I guess because. But this isn't really sure. that market. It's it's not like you're just hawking stuff from a Comic Con because you want to just get a few bucks online. Of course, there's always people who do that. But but it's always people who you know post in like NeoGaf threads, like pick up posts, and they're like, mm-hmm. check what I got out, and everyone's like, oh man, that's the best. Like I hope they reprint that because I've always wanted that game in a box with the cool artwork and the manual or, or whatever. And it's just, it's never about just uh, flipping a product. It's about, they just love this thing and they want it, which well, is so, is so cool. That's definitely going to be one of my questions for those guys is like, you know, what, like, will there be a, a second printing? Like, how do you handle that stuff? And like, do you need to, do you need to like feel bad for those people that are going to be like, Oh, I thought I was only going to have like one of 3000. Like, is that, is that really right. the point of this stuff or is it to like make sure like someone can like this is a discussion that comes up in the the current generation of stuff and even more so when it comes to you know the the I mean most of the stuff that or I should say everything that they've done has been bringing digital games to a physical form so you know when these services go down in you know I don't know 5 years 10 years whatever yeah. Um, people are still going to want to play this stuff. And what happens when the hard drive dies or what happens like if, you know, Microsoft says, Hey, like actually we're getting out of the Xbox business altogether. We're shutting down Xbox live. We're shutting down the servers, download this stuff while you can right now, because that's it. Um, like how much of it is just like making sure that people can get access to this stuff and how much of it is just like making sure that it is creating some kind of, uh, scarcity, which I don't think they're obviously trying to do. They're just, they have to make a limited run because they don't have a warehouse. They can't <laughs> well, like they, store they gotta, it. They'd have to change their name. Yeah, <laughs> they'd have to rebrand completely. Like medium, <laughs> medium to medium run games or something like that's, that. I don't that's know. That's right. They'd have to open up a second branch. Yeah, well, like and, and and you've seen. Sorry to to jump on you real quick, but like the you can see the um, the fan gamer guys are taking the other kind of stance of doing pre-orders months ahead of time. Like I pre-ordered Shovel Knight like right. a couple, I don't know, like a month ago now, and it's not even shipping until October. So 
they're kind of just saying, all right, we're going to take pre-orders up until this point, and then we're shutting them off, and then we'll just print as like the number that we have for pre-orders and go from there. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to Fangamer about some stuff too, uh, and it's interesting to see how all the different markets, like all the different companies, work because they kind of just serve slightly different markets. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think to the limited run uh, question, they could do a second printing of things as long as it's different. And you know, a good example of that is comics. When you get, say, the right. first run of a new comic, the second printing has a different cover. Yeah. The first printing, maybe they'll they'll go a little bit more all out on stock. They'll they'll put in something special. Maybe there's a bit of bonus content. Second printing might get slightly different. So you always know if you were the one who really you just like you know first run stuff, you just want to collect that stuff. No one will ever be able to tell you, hey, that comic is not a first run comic. They'll know. Mm-hmm. So so generally the people who don't aren't as you know like invested they don't care as much whether they get that that day one print or or sort of like the the first printing um will wait for the second printing or the trade or whatever and i think there's absolutely an opportunity for that i mean you know sometimes you wait for games uh like bigger triple a games for uh game of the year editions mm-hmm. just because you just want more content for a cheaper price and you you know you have you have time to wait so it's it's no big deal but for some people they're like for them, they want to get on day one because they want to be part of a community or they just want to, because right. they're just so excited. They just can't wait. They want to make sure they're part of the conversation when it happens because they're, they really want to be into that. So I think there's all those elements to not only collecting, but just playing games and being part of them uh, and sort of being part of the communities that play them that, yeah, are really fascinating and they, they change over time. Well, be uh It'll be interesting to see what they do, and I'll, you know, again, hopefully, I'll get to talk to those guys on on Friday and and see, uh, you know, what if they if they do have a game plan in place, if they're willing to share it. But um, yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. Is like you know, just put put a huge sticker on it that says second runner on the you know box art, so people can still feel like they had the original, but just say it's like some kind of uh, second run because I know, like for me personally, like a lot of those games that they've had on there, like it's not something that as someone that tries to not own a ton of physical games anymore, like I don't necessarily need that stuff, but you know, I was bummed that I missed out on my buddy, you know, uh, Joel's, uh, game zero drifter. I'd love to have right. a, you know, a copy of that. Or, um, you know, I think, uh, the stuff that they have coming up, they're actually like bringing some, some awesome, like games that would coming from Japan that wouldn't necessarily get a physical release here. And they're doing a physical release for some of that stuff. Uh, so it'd be cool to check those out, but it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Um, anyways, like I said, hey, Benjamin, you have a game that's coming out, uh, <laughs> or that's that is out uh, called Alone with You. Um, so I'm I'm kind of curious, and and we'll definitely talk about Home as well. But uh, in terms of like this game, uh, what what were your inspirations for this? What made you want to make um, kind of like a, a love story that takes place in space into a video game? So. The way I always put it is there's there's a couple things. The first one was that because I had done home first, you know, just into narrative, making narrative games. So part of it was just wanting to expand on some of those ideas from that game. Uh, and I always say that home is a home is a monologue, mm. but alone with you is a is a dialogue. It's a conversation. And a lot of that those original ideas were how to make a game where you can have a conversation that feels interesting. Uh, you know, can I make you feel it's all just my wife always makes fun of me. She's like, it's all about feelings with you. And I'm like, how can I make you feel certain things or, or get you, get you to sort of psych yourself out. Mm-hmm. So, but the other thing is that, you know, I really kind of wanted to make something science fiction just because there's a whole lot of opportunity with that genre, 
that, that it gives you a lot of leeway to do certain things, but it also just lets you tell certain stories in, in kind of like a more efficient way because you can um, have technology and have certain things explain some things away. Mm-hmm. But you can also create a world and not have to get trapped in very specific real world settings, right. which can be which can be a huge pain as a, as a storyteller. But on the other end, those two things, I also had a third thing, which was I played Persona 4 Golden a few years ago on my Vita. You know, I had that experience uh, as so many other people did. And who did, I just, who did you go for? Who did you, was it, were you uh, a Yukiko or a Chie person? I was a Yukiko guy. Oh, geez. I'm going to have to end this call. <laughs> how, how'd you not go? You know, it was okay. tough. It was I'm gonna, tough. I'm going to let you continue because I don't want to go on a Persona 4 yeah. path. I'll, I'll try not to. <laughs> I know. I could totally do that as well. I have some great stories about that. Uh, but, you know, like I I really love that idea because it was the first time I'd played, especially a Japanese-style dating game, uh, dating game that were – it just felt like it clicked with me. Uh, mm-hmm. Previous Persona games necessarily hadn't and there's obviously lots of other sort of visual novel-style ones that, that didn't – likely because of tone or art style or, or, or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but Persona 4, because it was set in a small town, which is like where I'm from, uh, and felt a bit more every day, I really, I really dug that. So I was, you know, just big ideas. Hey, man, I could really make a dating game. That'd be super cool. And, of course, my wife's like, oh, that's the best. You have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I opened my mouth and said that to a journalist at GDC one year, and then it got printed and then it said, like, you might be working on a dating game next. So I kind of said, hmm, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to have to do this now. I'll put up or shut up. Yeah, your so fate th- has been sealed. You that's right. Do it. So then it was kind of taking, you know, it's like, it's, you're like a detective trying to solve a murder with these, like, notes on the wall. And I'm like, okay, how do I draw a string from a bunch of these things that I really like? I know there's something here. And mm-hmm. how do I take, you know, I, I like science fiction games. I love adventure games. I love dating sims. Uh, or, you know, the concept of them at least. But I feel like there's kind of a hole between these three ideas that has not yet been filled with something. There isn't a game for the people who sort of like 75% of the elements of these different games, mm-hmm. but maybe not all of them. Right. So so then I said, okay, what is that game? What is the thing that's, that's a fast, fluid adventure game that has uh, the dating element but isn't bogged down with all those systems, that doesn't have a ton of meters, that isn't just about filling points uh, and isn't so rote that doesn't use all the same sort of stereotypes and and then how do i make something in science fiction that um you know isn't like shooting aliens in space that kind of thing and like how would you even make those three things work so mm-hmm. that's kind of that's kind of what kicked it all off oh i love i love that and like i think and i think i know what you're getting at because uh we're going to do it. We're going to go in the Persona 4 rabbit hole. But, um, you know, with, with Persona Sweet. 4, the – and this is I, – like I just finished Steins Gate um, mm-hmm. this past weekend, which is uh, a visual novel on the on the Vita. It's actually a pretty interesting time travel story. But, um, like, Japan has a lot of these great – like, great games that just have weird Japanese – things in them that just don't always mesh with the westerner the western video game flair like you know creepy characters or you know making lots of like inappropriate comments and <laughs> like right. on on how like women are dressed or just making yeah. like there's a what there's one character in Steinsgate that's just like constantly making like just really creepy jokes the the whole time and it's like supposed to be funny which I you know I get like that's 
there's a reason why that is like a big part of Japanese culture for better or worse. But um, Persona 4 does that like in little pieces where like, um, I don't know, like, like Kanji will say something like, like weird or something like that. Or um, what was the, um, oh God, why am I blanking on the other guy's name? Uh, Yosuke? Yosuke. Like, yeah, like Yosuke will mostly say like just like the creepy stuff of like, you know, nervous, you know, not knowing how to really interact with women or talk about women type stuff. But right. um, like that is like that is something that Persona was for was able to or at least in terms of localization, they weren't they were able to kind of like, you know, toe that line really closely without it getting creepy. And like like, again, some points at Steinsgate where I was like why the hell am I playing this? Like, I really yeah. like the story, but you guys, like, this is just like, this is gross, creepy stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Like, I we don't totally, need to go that far. Yeah, um, I totally get you. So, so is that something that you try to kind of like, you know, make this a little bit more um, digestible for, for the Western audience as well? Because like, again, you know, the Vita, like there's, it's a joke of like, there's, there's Gal Gun, there's like, right. there's yeah. uh, those, um, those samurai you know, bikini games and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously that's a bit more, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of like old school 70, 70s and 80s sort of manga and anime, mm-hmm. mostly because the stuff you saw uh, at that age, uh, or, you know, I wasn't seeing it in the 70s necessarily, but uh, the stuff you saw was localized, often poorly, but mm-hmm. localized and sort of had this really interesting cross-cultural edge to it. Mm-hmm. So it was like half North American and half Japanese because of obviously the localization. And, you know, sometimes it was just them <laughs> replacing every bit of dialogue with just lots of swearing because, you know, people would buy the tapes. But mm-hmm. uh, but there's something about that, like, weird cultural mishmash. It's actually the part that I like the most, not the like the pure original Japanese version, which I could I could totally get. And most of it was fine but something way more interesting when you realize oh man well they localize this and as someone who's like reading x-men comics in the 80s like this totally makes sense like, i mm-hmm. totally get these character motivations and a, and a bunch of this other stuff so but with along with you i mean the characters in the game are not teenagers everyone's like in their 30s or sometimes 20s or whatnot um i mean that's I know a that. start <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't think it's ever stated, but that that is sort of in the character bios, invisible character bios. That's that's what's mm-hmm. in there. And so for me, it was just about, OK, you can take these ideas and exactly like you say, how can you do this so that you show, you know, you tilt your Vita over at like your your cousin or family member. They're not just going to look at you. Like shake their head and say like, like, maybe think like we should probably call the cops. Yeah, exactly. And because I also, like I always say, like I like to make stories and things for like my mom. Someone mm-hmm. like my mom would pick up and be like, oh, this is kind of cool. Maybe at least be able to sort of relate to it a little bit. So I like those sort of far reaching angles, mostly because I find the the things that I grew up with, the fiction I grew up with, whether it was comics, movies uh, mm-hmm. or books, tend to have this real populist angle to it. Um, they were just, you know, they were maybe weird enough that you could get something really unique out of it, but sort of, uh, sort of simple enough or relatable enough that you could at least jump in before they hit you with the weird stuff. And then by that time you were, you know, you were already invested and you could, you could deal with it, which is something I think persona four did really well. 
So with Alone With You, you know, science fiction can often be like very opaque and weird and very esoteric. I didn't want to do that. And romance game, you know, most people think of that as just like a completely other universe that they never want to touch. So I didn't Mm -hmm. want to make sure that you could look at it and not see that. You wouldn't you wouldn't think it's just like another dating sim that's like extra, extra pervy or or, or that you wouldn't actually want to play. So the idea of this being I mean, basically, it's just kind of like a really messed up episode of Star Trek The Next Generation uh in my mind and you can relate to that i think a lot more because of the themes and because of uh, a bunch of the way like the characters interact and how you address them and how things resolve and how the plot works i think a lot more people will be able to get into that you don't even have to like you know hard sci-fi that kind of stuff and it's just that's just the angle i always like to take i just feel like you find these great sweet spots where someone 20 years from now will hopefully pick up the game again and say man that game was awesome because i can still relate to it Mm-hmm. as opposed to it being like so so specific to a a style you know or a, or a sort of form of of that kind of art at the time which a lot of, i think games are as well uh or can be and and then just say oh man that like i guess i liked that you know before when i was 14 or 20 or 50 or whatever but i definitely don't now so god i that is a that is an awesome description uh for it that is an easy way to sell the game is just saying like yeah it's a really messed up episode of the next generation like it's totally so like troy got you know some some weird alien you know uh parasite or something like that that oh, caused her to act super weird there is there's a specific episode of the next generation that really helped me look at alone with you and say okay i think i know how to handle you know these five things and that shows the answers for a lot of questions that we <laughs> are posed uh in life Oh, it's it's the best. I think it's my favorite show ever made. Have you seen Stargate SG One? I saw a little bit. Of oh, it, come on! But I don't remember it, so I have to say I'd have to start from scratch. All right, okay. That is that is basically as Canadian as uh, being nice. I don't know what's what's Canadian like. It's, it's about as Canadian as hockey. That's right. right. You, you got to go check it out. It is a great, uh, you know. It has 10 seasons, eight, which are really good, and uh, two, I mean, season one or two, you just need to get through. Uh, just like Next Generation, <laughs> right? Um, that's, that's true. You got to find your footing for, for the first 40 episodes. But, um, well, I mean, that, that like, okay, now you're just making me want to play the crap out of this game. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, it's already on, on my console and ready to go tonight. But, um, you know, out, outside of that, like, we're, we're talking about, you know, the potential of... Um, you know, making sure that this game is something that, you know, you could put on your shelf. Is that something that you would want to explore is doing like a, a physical version of this game? Is that something that makes sense to you? It's definitely something I'm interested in. I mean, anyone who played home before might remember when the original PC release came out, there was actually a super limited edition box set that, mm. that you only got by pre-ordering. Um, and as, as much of a complete pain that was to fulfill uh, and deal with, uh, I still love the fact that I have, for better or worse, a version of my game that I can put on my bookshelf. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole thing about that is I want to make sure that it would be something a little quirky and a little interesting. Because, like with Home, there was a puzzle in the game uh, for people who had bought the collector's edition that could only be solved with the items in the collector's edition box. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and eventually that got rolled out into like the, all the digital versions as like a slightly different puzzle because it wouldn't wouldn't have been fair to <laughs> to do that to not be able to beat the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
with along with you, I definitely want to have something universe building, something where the box in your hand is not just like you know a blue box on the shelf or something like that, but something where you go, I think this game is better because of the way this thing works together. So, love it, love it. Um, all right, well, I mean, there was there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about, and hopefully, you know, by this point, like. Hey, you guys, it's like Persona. Like, I, you didn't say this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to just say hey, it's like Persona 4 plus Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, what <laughs> else do you need to hear uh, to go pick up this game for, oh, my God, a whole $10, guys. And if you got PlayStation Plus, it's 8 bucks right now. So uh, go and grab it while you can get it for that discounted price if you're a PlayStation Plus member. And if not, like, seriously, just pick it up for, for, for 10 bucks and... Um, you know, go from there again. Like I haven't, I can't really tell you uh, a ton about it. I've been playing uh, home actually over the last couple nights, and like, damn, that is like, again, that like, um, I also want to talk about the Super Nintendo's twenty fifth anniversary. But for for a second, just to talk about home, yeah. Um, I mean, what what was your inspiration for that? Because like, again, that that feels like very much um, to me, not like like a one to one, but it's almost like a mix of like a like a little bit of. I don't know if you remember this game, Shadowgate and um, oh, yeah. like Maniac Mansion and like that type of like adventure kind of like horror game that we didn't, I'm, I'm, I'm like one of the few people that I guess like was scared for, uh, from Shadowgate, like Shadowgate creeped the hell out of me as a seven-year-old, which I guess that makes sense as a seven-year-old, but um, how, how do you go about making a, a horror game, you know, based off of you know, retro in inspired graphics. Um, how do, how do you do that? And in this, this day and age and still, you know, give people that, you know, that horror experience that they're craving. Right. Well, okay. I'm going to tell you two things. The first one is the specific answer to that question. Don't spoil anything for me though. I'm playing. No, it, right? no, I won't. <laughs> the second is the like total back in my play retro game. Like, like we've been calling it rabbit hole chase. Do it. That, Let's go. Let's go. So first, first answer Basically, I made a design brief for the game where I said, I think you could make a horror game that has really lo-fi graphics and is still scary. I want to prove it. And so I tried to design a concept of how do you do that? It's like, well, you have to use sound. You can use narrative. How does that work? Mm -hmm. And I made a very small design brief. And the game originally had... The game's graphics were originally about a fourth of the resolution that are in the final game. They were pretty hilarious. And then my wife was like, you can't. No, you can't do that. Like she made me redraw the entire game, or at least as much as much as I had done, <laughs> um, which is obviously the right idea. It was the right the right approach. So so it was. I said, I just know you can do it. You can make a game that tells a story that isn't you know like crazy expensive to produce, and I bet you you can get into people's heads. Because to me, the fun thing about horror is never about the monster. It's never about the special effects. It's never about any of that stuff. Right. It's always about what the audience is doing in their brain between right. shots and between these moments. And like, I'm the kind of person who has like just a terribly overactive imagination. Horror games scare the crap out of me. Like PT was traumatic. I haven't even got through the resident evil seven demo yet. Cause it's just too scary because every step a million horrible things are going through my mind. So I wanted to make a game for someone like me who can't like walk past an open door in the middle of the night in their house without thinking something is going to come out and like slash their throat. So how do you do that? Well, you tell a story and then you make people sort of complicit in telling it. Mm -hmm. And so the structure of the game is really the fact that it unease, uneases you hopefully unnerves you and kind of makes you, uh, makes you work for what's going on means that you don't just sit there and, and absorb a story and sort of determine whether, you know, you liked it or it's good or bad, but 
because you're actively putting this story together as you play, uh, suddenly your brain is hopefully going a lot faster and you're thinking about things and every decision suddenly becomes maybe a tough decision or a confusing one or just uneasy one. And then by the time you, you get to the end, you'll, you'll have to have a lot to think about. You mentioned Silent Hill 2 as well. It seems like there oh, yeah. are some influences of that game in there. Oh, yeah. Silent Hill 2 is like <laughs> my favorite game of all time. Absolutely. There's obviously some some Resident Evil-related mm-hmm. stuff in there with the door animations and whatnot. But uh, but I remember like the first time I played Silent Hill was in college with my cat, you know, 3 in the morning. And there's a scene in the, in the uh, elementary school where your daughter calls you. And I remember being so scared that I just said, nope, can't do this. And I just saved, turned off, went to sleep, and I don't think I touched it for a couple of days. And I had a couple other moments through that game where I would just be terrified to just even move, you know, Harry Mason from one screen to the next. And that was the time when I realized like how powerful a game could be in, ter- in terms of telling a story, uh, right. in terms of without necessarily being very narrative heavy or, or very uh, dialogue heavy, um, but how it could just get into you and really like stick with you even when you weren't. Uh, when you weren't playing it, and that was just one of those things I really wanted to do with home. Did you Did you ever play uh, through Shattered Memories on the on the Wii? Oh yeah, I had I actually had dinner with Sam Barlow so we could talk about it because no I said way. we have to talk about Shattered Memories because this is this is like a high water mark in narrative game design, and it's a huge huge influence on stuff that I do as well. Just the, when I played that game, uh, I sort of went, okay, I didn't know games could do this. This is impressive. Well, I was, I was going to say, like, that is, uh, I mean, that was that was the game for me that uh, I played through in a day. Like, I played it through, mm-hmm. and it was, like, the perfect, and I don't know if I told this story before, but, like, I was listening to, this is a game that was not on my radar, and I was listening to um, the Game of the Year stuff that Giant Bomb did that year, and... Okay. I forget, I forget who brought it up, but, like, someone was like, yeah, you know, like, just the, you know, Shattered Memories is, like... Like I feel like they, they hadn't talked about it like at all, but someone brought it up, and uh, I'm like, all right, well, I have a Wii, and uh, you know, I'm I'm down for for a new game, and that sounds like it does some really interesting things with the with the hardware, so I'm gonna go and check it out. And like, I was playing it in the middle of a blizzard, which was like <laughs> the perfect setting for it, um, and it was absolutely. It might have been. It might be my favorite Wii game. Oh yeah, it is for me, 100. percent like it, it was, it was that, it was that good. Like they just nailed everything from like just the the horrible like putting the Wii remote up to your ear and like like it was a yeah. phone and listening to the messages and of course like just the the ending which is a complete like you know it's like almost on the the, the scale of Spec Ops the line in terms of like just screwing with your head, right? Um, just really really uh, great stuff. And it's a shame that they didn't get to do like a follow up to that game. It would have been awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I love I love that game so much. It's it's oh, it's so good. Well, her story it's, is also like on my um, it's in my Steam library that I've not gone oh, through that, but now I have to gotta, actually do that. Yeah, you got to play her story. It's fantastic. A bunch okay. of us did it. We played it on my iPad. Uh, there was four of us all taking notes and arguing, and we played the game completely from the beginning to end. About four and a half, five hours, I guess we spent with it. Just could not stop, and it was just we've never had an experience like that before. It was so incredible. All right, I will I will load it up on my my MacBook and and, and finally get through it. I know it's been it's uh been really like it's like really 
like weird. I almost like to be separated from the the zeitgeist from games a little bit because sure. I feel like you get kind of you almost get too much uh, too much contact with the game uh, and you get overwhelmed. So uh, maybe it has been long enough that I can finally go and go and play it. Um, but yeah, wow, yeah, Sam Barlow, man, that is that is a very important person in this industry. Oh my god, um, I, I know. All right. Uh, <laughs> so can can I tell you my second my second answer? Like the absolutely, back of my yeah. Hell okay. yeah. Such a tangent. So one of the other reasons why Home existed was there's a I don't they don't exist anymore, but there was a Japanese game developer called Human Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Their first game was Clock Tower. Oh, dude, I know Human Entertainment. Right. So they yeah. made Clock Tower, which is like a complete ripoff of uh, Phenomena, the the movie from the '80s, um, and. I'd only seen bits of Clock Tower in some in some ways because it wasn't translated initially to Super Nintendo, right? It was just mm-hmm. in Japanese. I think it made it to Europe though. Uh, but it uh, they also made a game for the PlayStation called Twilight Syndrome, and they made several of these. All right. So I was in college. I finally had a way to play Japanese games on a PlayStation. I was starting to get into importing and playing games from other regions, and my wife and I got this game. Uh, my wife's from Hong Kong, so she reads Chinese and kanji mm-hmm. by. Um, by default, but I didn't know any Japanese at the time. Um, so we would play together and she says, I think you'd like this. Cause it's like a, you know, it's like a weird, uh, weird, um, horror movie. And so we played it and it is, uh, it's about these three girls who go investigate kind of like little local mysteries, like going to their school to investigate like an urban legend about something in their school. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of short stories and all the backgrounds are 3d like PlayStation, but all the sprites, uh, the characters are two dimensional. So it's that mm-hmm. neat sort of early PlayStation mix. And it was terrifying. So scared. There's this scene with a bathroom and a little ghost of a boy and just absolutely scary as crap. I'd never seen anything like it before. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a two dimensional horror game. Uh, and played a game that felt, you know, it felt like playing Metroid. Not really, but, you know, it right. sort of had the side-to-side uh, movement. But it was strictly about being scary. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I carried that with me this whole time where I said, there's got to be a way to do 2D horror. Like, I, there's got to be other ways to do two-dimensional horror. It can't just all be, like, super high-poly, you know, like, expensive AAA kind of horror like we have now. Um, and so part of the other thing to make home is, I said, Twilight Syndrome is, like, one of those games that nobody knows about or it feels like nobody knows about, but it has so many cool lessons. And I feel like there's a ton I can learn from that and then extrapolate and borrow heavily from to make, to make something new. Yeah. Like they, um, I mean, human was a very interesting developer. I mean, they also did, um, like Septeptrion, uh, SOS, oh, yeah. which, uh, on the super Famicom again, like making use of, you know, sound and environment with very, you know, 16 bit graphics to, 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 you know, really make you have a, a, a very certain mood. Like, hey, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a sinking ship right now. Yeah, I remember first seeing screenshots of that, and I just couldn't understand it. It just, it's like, Nuts. it's like there's no, you know, you you see like an EGM, uh, you know, what's coming listing, and it would be lots of platformers and, and stuff like that, and sports games and, and whatnot. And then I remember seeing that going, wait, what? Like, what? I've never heard that concept before. Was was Twilight Syndrome? Is that? Um, I don't. Have you tried any like the Corpse Party series? I have not, no. Okay, you might want to check those out. The first two came out on uh, PSP and Xseed, brought those uh, over, and they also had a uh, the latest one, Corpse, Corpse Party Blood Drive, is out on the PlayStation Vita. Um, okay, yeah. 
those those are games with 16-bit graphics that I can't play because they scare the crap out of me. <laughs> That's great. I love uh, it. So that is because, it, you know, just like uh, with home, like I do the thing that it says at the front, like, hey, put on headphones. Um, yeah. And like that, it, it just gets to the point where, yeah, I just I can't I can't do this anymore. I have to do it in like little uh, fits and spurts. But yeah, go check out. Yeah, Chorus Party is probably something I need to get back to. I still haven't finished the the first one, but um, those pop up on sale uh, from time to time. If they do, pick them up. Um, cool. cool. All right. So uh, one more thing I want to talk to you about is the like we've been talking for an hour already, but I'm um, talking about the the 25th anniversary of the the Super Nintendo here in North America, where uh, this console obviously played a, a big part in. In, in my life and in many gamers' lives and uh, spurred the, the incredible war between Sega and Nintendo, uh, at least here in, in North America, it was a little bit more of a fight than it was uh, anywhere else. But I'm just kind of curious on, on your part, if you have any like particular memories, uh, you know, very, you know, personal memories of the, the Super Nintendo or just, you know, uh, memories you like to kind of look back on. Sure. The Super NES was the first game system I bought with my own money. And the, I was 12 when it came out, so I had lied to get a summer job because right. legal, work, legal working age was higher than that. Yeah, it was like 14 and, or something like that? Yeah, so I managed to, managed to sneak, sneak with that. And I was living in a very small town at the time, a village, and I, rem- I actually remember the day I got my Super NES, which is, uh, I was, it was like 10 minutes till closing. I had just gotten the final paycheck I needed to get this thing, you know, whatever it was at the time, 250 I guess, I can't remember. Um, the girl Kim was working the cashier, and she could tell I was super excited. And she knew like what a nerd I was for this stuff, and she mm. just kind of said, "Just, just go. Like I'll cover for you." And I was <laughs> such like I was such a little goody two shoes. It's like, oh man, I don't want to get in trouble. She's like, "Don't worry about it. It's like it's the end of your shift. No one's gonna know." So I did. I bolted, finished packing this bit, lady's bags, bolted, went home, got the rest of my money, and went over to this place called McCaskey's, which is where they sold in the village. You know, like it's the one place to buy microwaves and things like that, and they also rented games. Mm-hmm. Went to Diane, who was the lady who ran the place, put down my envelope full of money, got my Super NES set, and that was it. Was that like launch day? That was, I doubt it was. It was close after. I remember at launch, my friend had a birthday party Mm -hmm. where he had managed to rent one, so we got to play. And I also did that once too, so it probably was at least five months to six months after launch until I finally got mine. That was that was that was magical back then when you could actually like I feel like some of that magic is gone. Like you could go in and rent consoles, like rent a like we rented a Turbo Graphics sixteen just to see yeah. what, what what's that world like for a weekend. Yeah. We there's there's a there's one of the retro game shops here that still does that. Oh, that's so cool. And I will and what a you great know, you, idea. You can rent almost anything. It's like is that a? It's like is that a twin Famicom? It's like can I rent that for the weekend? It's like well, if you feel like putting down the deposit, you can. Oh, that is so awesome of them to do that. That is such a great idea. Um, yeah, I always see. This is the thing. Like I have these like dreams. Like, what if I just happened to have an extra million dollars? What would <laughs> I do in terms of the business? I would start I'd be like, all right, well, I just <clears throat> copy limited run games and do that and try to, you know, get some more games out there or also, you know, open up just like a badass used game shop that does everything right and doesn't have like, it doesn't smell like McDonald's in there. It doesn't <laughs> like the games aren't all dirty and, and overpriced and, 
like have an environment where it's more of like a community instead of like, you know, like, tr- like the used game shops that I've gone into in the Massachusetts area. Um, they're very, you know, pressured or they like, again, the, the shops are just look like they're falling apart and the people don't yeah. really care that are working there. Like just some place that actually has some, some, some love to it. Like very much more like the, um, have you been out to, to Tokyo at all? Yep. I've been there three times. Okay, so have you been to like like Friends and stuff in Akihabara? Yeah, I've been to yeah all the big ones, Super Potato, Friends, Traders, all those. Perfect. Ones. So you can see like there's there's at least some love and attention to those games where they like they clean them and stuff before they put them in plastic and then put them oh, on yeah. the shelf. Like there's actual like respect paid to it, and it's just not like a stack of you know random gross looking NES games <laughs> that probably barely work. Like it's um, so true that 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 that. You know that poor old lady at Friends is constantly cleaning contacts on games before she like <laughs> wraps them up. Like that is, that's the kind of attention and care that they put in that stuff, and that's uh, that's kind of how I would like to roll if I was able ever in a position to do that stuff one day. But um, that's really not where my career path is going, unfortunately. Um, yeah, like the the Super Nintendo is is just in, incredible. Do you have any like favorite games that like you still? Well, this is like I want to ask you like a two parter if you don't mind if you have time. It's like sure, um, you know, do you have any games that like were your game back then? Like you might not still play it today, but like it was the game that you constantly were playing back when the Super Nintendo was reveling. And like part two would be: Are there any games that you like still are? constantly playing today or like maybe you found more recently that you just find you're you know still hold up today that you have to always kind of go back to yeah so i mean i was a big fighting game fan in the 90s because uh, you know arcades were still around and there were still a couple i could sort of get to <laughs> at certain times right so for me street fighter 2 turbo specifically and mortal kombat 2 mortal kombat 2 was my game that was the game no one would play me at because i was just like that idiot who liked that game way too much <laughs> And I like I remember the day I got that game. I remember how much I played it. I never stopped playing it mm. like ever until the day I eventually got rid of my Super NES. Played it. It's probably of every game I've ever played. It's probably the game I have played the most. Mortal Kombat uh, Two specifically on the Super Nintendo. On Super NES, yeah, because I was such a Mortal Kombat fan. Mortal Kombat Two was just like the second coming. It was just the greatest thing ever for me. Uh, and so I would play that game all the time. And I used to do this thing. Like we're getting real deep into like hardcore Benjamin Rivers nerd stuff here. That's but like, what, I, hey, I don't know if you've heard this show. That's what it's all about, man. I know it's so great. I used to, you know, people on YouTube now will put on like a fatality demonstration video of yeah. like Mortal Kombat. I used to do that with VHS tapes, of course, one by one, every character, every fatality in order, <laughs> like the whole thing, just so I could have it and watch them again. And I would do crazy stuff like that or like record little things on VHS tapes, cut together little things in Street Fighter. Uh, it, was, it was totally nuts. But I remember specifically, I bored somebody's Sega Genesis because mm-hmm. I wanted to play the Sega Genesis version of Mortal Kombat 1 because it looked weird because it's like, I know people remember it fondly, but it's like a terribly programmed game. Uh, yeah. So, so god awful. Hitboxes uh, are a little bit more like like rectangles. They, they yeah. weren't really like actual, like defined through the person's body. Yeah, it was, it was so weird. But the animation, like everything was so pared back. It was just nuts. So I recorded all this stuff on VHS tape from that game and then would watch it frame by frame to try to understand what was different about it with the Super Nintendo version. Like a normal person. Like a totally normal person. It's a good thing I had a really understanding mom. Uh, but like, 
I would be, that's when I realized, oh, the animations are messed up. Like there are these weird yeah. hacks where they didn't have, they just cut all these frames out and you exactly. realize they were using stuff. And that's when I sort of started to understand about some of these things uh, in terms of like game development. Although I guess I didn't really know it at the time. So I would just do stuff like that. And I would have, you know, like most people did at the time, you didn't get a lot of games. So you'd play them over and over again. And I try to find new ways, like with Super NES games, to record stuff to sort of keep records of certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, like Mortal Kombat 2 and Super NES, it's not, it's not healthy. It's just <laughs> so much time. I'm up to, you know, I'll be real. Like, I, um, I wish I still had this tape, but I completely like I recreated the movie Goldeneye with the N64 game. Like I try to play it perfectly. That's so great. And if I didn't like get through a level perfectly and like have like, you know, very James Bond like movements and skills, I would rewind the tape and yeah. I would tape back over it and I would do it until I got like uh, a perfect run. And it like took me, I don't know. I think it was like, I had to use the, um, like a long play. So maybe it probably took like, that's like a, about a four hour game or a five hour game or something like that. If you actually play yeah. it from start to finish. And, um, I was actually able to get it. Obviously the hardest part, the, 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 the goddamn jungle. Oh my God. The jungle <laughs> is the worst, hardest level in, in that game. And it's just, uh, especially if you try to role play it, like for sure. Yeah. Well, it's like, you're like, you're trying to role play it. And, uh, it was just awesome to see the, the digital foundry, like analysis of that game last weekend or something like that, where it's like, yeah, that game like runs at a rock solid 18 frames per second, like throughout. And it just didn't matter back then. But like today we would be like, man, the developers are so lazy. They don't even care. (laughs) Like they don't like, they don't even know how to optimize their games for, for hardware. And it's also running at like, you know, 520 P. So, yeah, so funny. It's so true. I have, yeah, I have Goldeneye on N64, and I was playing it, and uh, just realized how much fun, how much fun I still have with that game. But when you look at, it, you go, man, we, what was important then was different than what's important now, and those those are good lessons to remember. I'm going to, uh, you know, while while we were kind of like on the subject, and I'm going back to it now. Um, like I said, I bought her story for like three bucks on a Steam sale a couple months ago. But maybe uh, you can just like really bug the crap out of Sam and say like, hey, like bring it to the PlayStation Vita. Oh or get, man! Or now yeah. that you're friends with Shu, get get Shu Yoshida <laughs> and Sam at a table and say, let's, let's figure out who do we need to send this to send it to iron galaxy and get this thing on a Vita. I know it would be great. It would be great on Vita. And it's, like, think about like with headphones and stuff like, Oh yeah. Man. Um, but I don't know. We probably won't be able to, to pull that off, but, um, all right, we've been talking for an hour and a, what hour and 15 minutes or something like that. That went a little bit longer than, you know, maybe I thought it was, but, um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's again, that's what this show is all about. And, um, it's a good place to, maybe pause for now and, and, and chat again, uh, in the future. Um, and this is what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some rearranging for, for folks out there because I'm kind of like, I've been recording a bunch of stuff to get in like the next season or the next run of, of back in my place. So, um, you know, you're going to hear this the week that, um, that alone with you is coming out. So you can, uh, pick that up and still get like the the discounts on on the sales and also um, you know you can go and check out the soundtrack too which I think is like six bucks or something like that on that's right uh, Bandcamp six dollars American I think it's like eight Canadian but um, 
That's you know, if you, Canadian money is still good. Um, you <laughs> you, you good can use something. that. Uh, well, I, again, I don't know. I, I don't know the, the exchange rates right now, but um, you can you can go and check that out. And uh, also, uh, along with that, hopefully, I've had the announcement of. If I don't have it up yet, uh, Patreons are now going to be part of uh, the Back of My Play Game Club, where I'm going to be putting together episodes for longer games, uh, which the first one is going to be Chrono Trigger. Um, Whoa. Right. So like, I've been uh, trying to play that in fits and spurts for years and years and years, and finally playing through it for uh, the show. But the way to kind of make it make sense in terms of like it's weird that I need to make this as like a time investment because of course I'm having fun, but then it allows me to continue to make content for the patrons while I'm doing it, and to also make it as a you know another another reason for people to support the show. And like to be real, it's just as much about giving back to the patrons that are already supporting me. So I want to give you guys some extra exclusive content that is you know not taking away from the main show or anything like that, but. Uh, it allows me to do that, and patrons are going to be able to get to play along uh, with me. And what we're doing is, I don't know what the exact point of the game, but there's a midway point that people told me about uh, where I think the one that we're going to go with is when Frog gets his, quote, super cool sword, um, or when he can finally use it in that one castle. So I don't know exactly where that is, but David uh, C. mentioned that on on Twitter Um and also some people were saying when Chrono leaves the party after a major cutscene might be a good midpoint to like hit pause and like do an episode on that first half and just kind of talk about how it's been so far. And then an episode on the second half and that would be just for uh, Patreon subscribers. And then there would be an actual episode on that game for everyone where people can can check that out. So there would still, still you're going to get, the, I mean, the good thing is two good things. Patreons are going to get some exclusive content. They're going to get more stuff. And also I'm going to be able to get to actually cover like RPGs on the show, which have not been possible up to this point because uh, you guys don't hang out with me day to day, but squeezing in 30 hours or 40 hours or 50 hours for an RPG uh, is not something that has been super realistic in a, in a week or even two weeks. So to be able to play this over a course of a month, do some other stuff um, and then do that show is going to be uh, awesome. And next week, you'll also see the first episode of Back of My Play Goes to the Movies, where Georgia Dow and I talk about Flight of the Navigator for about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, I think those are going to be coming once a month to change things up and to also cover some fantastic movies like Flight of the Navigator, like Street Fighter, the movie, like Hackers, like you know, all those great movies from the 80s and 90s that are just really fun to still talk about uh, today with some of the favorite guests that you've heard on previous episodes of the show and some new guests of the show. So uh, sorry, Benjamin, you had to be part of that that huge rant there for a second to talk about upcoming content. But, um, it, it you know, it's good. It means we get more shows and we get to talk to great people like Benjamin Rivers about his brand new game. Uh, and even his old games and his old memories and also give you some recommendations on some games like her story which you should probably go pick up absolutely yeah um, man but anyways yeah like this has been an absolute blast to finally be able to to chat with you um also one thing i i wanted to mention is that uh you know 
We mentioned uh, our mutual friend, uh, Brian Davis, uh, new game, Metroid Prime Federation Force. is getting mm-hmm. some pretty good reviews out there. Um, a very unique Metroid experience for the 3DS, especially if you have some friends. It seems like it is a real blast if you have a couple friends to, to play with, but um, definitely worth checking that out. And, uh, yeah, just always lots of, of great stuff with the, the back of my play audience, the friends of the show, and, and things like that. But, um I don't know, Ben, any, any other like you know final words or, or things that people should know about uh, the game uh, before they, they go and pick it up or um, just anything else that you want them to be apprised of? Just when you play along with you, just, you know, yeah, get yourself in a comfy spot. Make sure no one else is around. I'm not going to interrupt a date. That's always awkward. And just, just Is it a good new. couple game to play together? Well... It's kind of fun to have one person play and then mm-hmm. the other person make decisions for them. I Ooh, think it's yeah. a good, it's like a good relationship test game because mm-hmm. uh, I've seen people do that, which is super funny. But it's one of those things where, because of how it works, uh, the fun thing for me is re- understanding all the decisions people make and sort mm-hmm. of these major decisions that, that people make throughout the game. And I, there's some ulterior motives to some of this stuff, which I'm not going to talk about for a little while. But sure, sure. Uh, it's going to come out come out eventually but uh just yeah like when you play the game play it with your heart don't try to min-max it just follow your feelings ah love it and that's that's a good that's a good um that's a good thing just for life in general exactly play with your heart and uh you know everything will will fall into place well um again you can pick up the game on the playstation network uh you know just be even though it is cross by, buy the PlayStation Vita version just to like mess with the statistics for the game, <laughs> so we can like have more. You know, at GDC, you can throw up a panel and be like, "Yeah, like for, it was weird. Like ninety percent of the people bought this game on the PlayStation Vita." Um, so funny. That that would be that would be a great thing to do, just so we can show that. And um, I don't know. There's been like even crazy rumors, like maybe Sony's making a follow up to the Vita or like another revision. So. Um, you know, just give them some more excuses because I would like to be able to play Persona 5 on a portable device. Uh, I know, me too. We can only dream. Um, But again, yeah, go check out all that stuff and lots of great stuff. And even like, I can kind of maybe tease it a little bit, but I mentioned like that travel coming up. I'm actually going to maybe be shooting some videos on the road for back in my play uh, as well and doing some like mini docs, about some cool things that are going on in the world of retro games and, and development and stuff like that. So maybe I'll have more to talk about that down the road, but I'm the king of talking about stuff way too early. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. That might be like six months from now that the stuff actually comes together. But uh, thanks so much for, for tuning in this week and for being a supporter of the show. If you're supporting the show through Patreon, that means so much. You're, you're helping me create this passion project uh, every single episode. And it means so much whenever I see a new person that jumps on uh, the the Patreon support because it is a true vote of confidence and uh, again like I can't express my gratitude for everyone that does do that uh, so thank you so much and I hope you go and pick up uh, the brand new game alone with you and uh, Benjamin Rivers thank you so much for taking the time especially on the day of release to come and talk about your games some old games some new games and uh, of course of course uh, Persona Four got to talk about that as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. This is a blast. I'm so glad we got to do this. Absolutely. We'll be talking again uh, very soon. And for everyone else, uh, again, hope you have a great week. Uh, Go play some Alone with you and some more old video games. And next week, we're going to be going to the movies. We'll see you next time.